My wife Heather got out an intricate thousand piece puzzle the other day and I set myself a challenge. Yeah, the, the, the challenge comes in, in two stages. First, the stage was to see if I could just complete the outside border. She had left um, just one piece out and uh, I figured I could find that. No, I, I wasn't able to find that. It's usually my best hope and my best contribution to a family puzzle is is at least getting the, the borders because having that straight edge, you know, that one line to follow is a is a is a real bonus, a real advantage. Well it seems that one piece has been missing for, for a while now. But the second stage was to give myself a challenge. And the challenge I set for myself was I want to place a single piece in this puzzle. That's what I want to be able to do. I want to find the matching parts, the colors, the shape, the line, and I want to put it in there. And I'll tell you, I have done three of them. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, I realize it's still probably less than 1% of the puzzle, um, but I've completed a challenge nonetheless. And uh, and as as such, uh, as a challenge that I have completed, I consider myself an obvious success story. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas, as they were in their mission work, are confronting people with this explanation of how the world really works, what's really going on, and give them a sense of purpose and continuity and destiny. Really matching up the pieces of their history, of what's going on. How do we fit Jesus into this this very big mental puzzle. And we'll see in the first part of a missionary speech in a Jewish gathering place, that's the synagogue, uh, we'll see the puzzle pieces falling into place. This is what God has been doing in the world. Here's the, the edges. This is what he's been trying to accomplish among his people. And this is what he's done in Jesus. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 13, we're just going to look at 13 through 25 today. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Three Ps, right? Pastors love that. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Okay. All right, we need to get our bearings <laughs> in this new place. Um, ask a few questions. Where is this, of course? You can see um, Cyprus. And you can see here um, uh, Paphos there. And, and then if you went around the island and up north, you'd see Perga on the coast and in, in Pamphylia, the region. And then they go up to Antioch and Pisidia. So uh, why would they go here? I mean, they're missionaries, right? With the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have told them. And did, did, did the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go to Cyprus and then Antioch of Pisidia? Why, why did they go to these specific cities? Is there something special about this Antioch? Uh, one of several cities, obviously now, we've, this is our second one, named after King Antiochus. There's Antioch in Syria, where the Spirit set them apart. And then they went to Cyprus, which uh, was Barnabas's home island. And maybe it just seemed a natural place for, uh, okay, we're going to start a journey. Well, let's go. I know people on Cyprus, right? That could that could be it. And I think we have some immediate takeaways here. If you've got a message, who are you going to go to? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it to those that I, I know. And we've seen this pattern in the book of Acts already. 
Uh, people going, uh, dispersing from Jerusalem and going to their home places and, and sharing the amazing news that Jesus is, is announcing an all-call, forgiveness of sin, freedom uh, from slavery, exile uh, is, is over and you get to come into this new exodus with God. Uh, you get to become this new people. And so, you know, that maybe Paul, Paul and Barnabas and, and now John Mark um, are visiting with, with relatives of, of Barnabas and, and his cousin, John Mark. Uh, but we're not sure why they even set sail to Pamphylia, that region, and, and really to hike into the dangerous mountains toward Antioch of Pisidia. But there are some clues. Uh, it was the most important Roman colony of the regions. Scholars would say it's more Rome than Rome itself, right? When you're setting up a, a new place to look like Rome, you can you can dial it in even better than, you know, the, the Rome itself. The colony had massive building projects um, that said emphatically, you're in Rome now. It's, it's, it's on. And if all, le if all roads lead to Rome, then this was also a, a very connected city with with imperial roads, the famous Roman roads, uh, leading to other cities like, we'll see, Lystra, etc. And I mentioned it was a Roman colony. Can we double click on that for a minute? A Roman colony was a place to settle war veterans, right? And to extend the empire with true believers. Where are we going to put these warriors? They've come through, they've marched through Rome, they've won a, a victory, where are we going to put them? Do we really want them in my neighborhood? In fact, they would say, nowhere near Rome, <laughs> please. We don't need thousands of soldiers out there looking for land and property near our estates. We also don't need battle-hardened warrior men collecting together to start another, another civil war. And so if we can keep them out of town, they can keep their bravado in the outer regions of the empire. So that's what a colony was, a, a Roman colony. We're going to set up a little piece of Rome right out here. Isn't it interesting that what the believers in Jesus are doing is setting up little colonies of the kingdom of God at the same time? And we're colonizing earth with the message of the kingdom. So interesting. Uh, but this, this colony was 1,800 miles from Rome, a nice safe distance, like from here to Austin, Texas. That's a, that's a good distance. Another reason for going to Antioch might be because Sergius Paulus, remember our intelligent proconsul who believed the message, that the proconsul on Cyprus? He was from this city. And so he may have given Paul and Barnabas some contacts in the city. So... We don't know all the reasons, and, and we don't know if the Spirit said, I want you to go to this city and not that city, or how that all worked out. But we can see some clues for why they may have found themselves on this journey. We do know that, that Paul is now um, just a few hundred miles from his home in, in Tarsus, in Cilicia, which is just to the east. Uh, so, so he's in a region that he's truly comfortable in. Uh, in a culture that he understands, among Jewish brothers in the synagogue, and we see him starting to take the lead. So at this stage, we see that Paul is taking steps forward, Barnabas is taking steps back, and interestingly, John Mark steps away. Once they hit Pamphylia, when they hit the coast, he's like, I I'm out. Interesting. 
the going got rough for John Mark uh, as an assistant to these missionaries. Maybe he was uninterested in the 120-mile mountainous trek with 3,800 feet elevation, um, uh, facing robbery, uh, possibly along the way through these, through these trails. Maybe he fell out with Paul. Maybe he was resentful that Paul was taking a step forward while Barnabas, his gentle and kind and bridge-building, encouraging cousin, Barnabas, was taking the step back. But whatever reason... Paul, in, in just a few chapters, will call him a deserter. He's, he's no good. He deserted us. So that's where we're at. That's the story. And what do they do when they arrive in Antioch of Pisidia? So verse 14, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Good. Good Jews. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them. Hey, Go, go, go tell them, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. I just think that's just really interesting. They, they go in, they just sit down. They're just here in the synagogue. But it was common for travelers to um, report in, share news from other regions when they were in synagogue together. And it's possible that Paul and Barnabas might have been dressed to fit the role of teachers as well, you know, pr proper robes or, or whatever that set them apart. And so like, oh, well, these, these guys are traveling teachers. So what do they have to say? So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Men of Israel and you who fear God. There would be Gentiles in the crowd who feared Yahweh. I said, wow, he, he is the God of gods. But they were one difficult step away from being full Jewish converts. And who can blame them for avoiding circumcision as adults? That was the path forward. You want to step in? Here's the big step. But Paul is using inclusive language to, to show that they fit into the puzzle of God's plan. Men of Israel, and you who fear God. This is our God. The God of this people Israel, in verse 17, chose our fathers, our fathers, and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then he's just, you see him stacking these puzzle pieces in. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Samuel the son of, or Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom Yahweh testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy 
to untie. Okay, we've got we've got some work here, but uh, what we're going to stop with this passage because um, I think you can see how how the puzzle pieces are fitting in. There's a sense of continuity in God's plan. It builds, it builds, it builds, and then pretty soon, what do we see? Jesus, the Savior. John had the 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 message of of repentance, but he wasn't it. As John was finishing his course, it says, yeah, his course, the race he was to run. Pretty amazing. But Paul presents the gospel as the story of God protecting his people, providing for his people, giving them leadership and land, and now a true Lord, the true Lord, the Messiah. Do you see how God is working with his people and and his work has come to an inflection point. Now he's doing this new thing. And that's what Paul is introducing. He's saying God has left signposts and he's left guides, his prophets, along the way. Last summer, uh, I went on a long day hike with a few friends to the Alpine Lakes above Interstate 90. Um, Sarah, one of them, knew a secret trailhead at Exit 42 that that led to Ira Springs. And so what we did was we shuttled a car to Olali Lake Trailhead at exit 45 and then went back to this secret location. Um, Frank, Chen, uh, Sarah, and I, uh, we all we all went up. Sarah was scampering on up ahead. Um, she was leading us through to this new trailhead or to the next one. And, and each signpost we saw from there confirmed, okay, yeah, we're on the right path. I, I, I can see that here, but lots of options along the way. And, and having a trail guide was absolutely essential to make sense of even the signposts. Because, you know, they're scratched out and and carved out of of wood and and you're trying to make sense. And is it this way? And what does it say on the map? And all that kind of stuff. Um, It was even possible that a few times um, we were off track. But a few hundred swarms of mosquitoes later, we were back on the main (laughs) through trail and saw some amazing stuff. And I was really excited that my body held up. But in, in the same way, God has provided leadership for Israel signposts along the way, but it, but it took a special revelation to connect the dots, to navigate the trail, to put the puzzle pieces together. It took Paul connecting the dots. It took this special revelation. I mean, we have general revelation, right? We understand that. That's just like, wow, we see trees and we see stars and we see animals and we see the beauty of creation. God, there must be a God, we say. But then special revelation coming through his prophets. Uh, Wow, okay, now we see. Now Paul is their guide, and now they can see the signposts, and and they might even choose to believe that this puzzle piece of Jesus, the Messiah, is is the true one. Now, we're we're only partway into his gospel presentation um, of, of the news that's coming out of Jerusalem, but we can see a few great features standing out right now. One thing, Paul's gospel message is telling uh, the Jesus story as God's story for the world. It's, it started here, um, and, and the Jesus story is explaining all of what God was doing in the world. Paul quickly moves to the story of the, uh, the era of the kings of Israel. And interestingly, he brings up King Saul, his namesake, right? He was named after King Saul. Um, but but King Saul was a tragic figure who took things into his own hands and didn't respond faithfully to Yahweh. 
Think, think of that connection with me. Why did Saul bring up King Saul in the midst of this? Well, it says, Yahweh removed King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, set him aside, and elevated David. The zealous Paul, Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, was also set aside, then transformed, and placed on a new course to fall in line with the new king, the son of David. And I think, I think Paul, Saul, is now seeing how his story weaves in here even more and thinking about the tragedy that his life was headed on before Jesus got hold of him. Paul also reminds the synagogue how finally, after many years, Yahweh God is man, David, on the throne, a king, a shepherd of Israel, who would respond to Yahweh with his whole heart and lead the people to righteousness. Now, the flaws of David aren't mentioned here, but obviously David wasn't the complete answer. As great as he was, extending the kingdom, killing the giants, you know, fighting the battles, he wasn't the complete answer. But the offspring would come, the seed would bear fruit, a man in the lineage of David would come. His prophet would come to perform to mark out the sure way, the definitive signpost. God has arrived and is establishing his king and launching the recovery effort for his lost children, the lost children of Abraham. So Jesus, the son of David, is the one who fully and truly lived this out. John 5, 19, Jesus is saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus would go to the Father, what do you want me to do, and then take those steps forward. He is the true Son of David. So, I want you to place yourself in this story. In God's story, but also in the synagogue with the Jewish faithful and the God-fearers who are on the knife's edge of joining in fully. But I want you to think, are you a Jesus-fearer? Are you a Jesus-fearer? You love that he loves you. Oh, it's so good to be loved. But you're not ready to commit to loving him back. Are you a Jesus-fearer? You admire his ability to forgive, but not sure he would forgive you. No, I've just got too much, too much stuff. You see that he loves the lost and heals the broken. You're kind of on the edge of the shore, but not all the way in. You're, you're not quite sure Jesus would really want to hang out with you. Like maybe you're just not his type. Why would he love me when I've held back my love for him? Let me repeat a story that Jesus told when some religious critics who had the idea that they were the only ones getting it right, started to push back on Jesus. They, they were offended when Jesus was sitting with notable sinners and actually feasting with them. You, you've heard this story, but let me tell it again. Jesus told this story, Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And 
There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us celebrate, eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother's come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never even given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? The father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus, fear, repeat after me. God's goodness is running after me. Let's say that God's goodness is running after me. The Father is running out to me. All my life you've been faithful, using signs and people to point me to yourself. You've been faithful in my wanderings, and I trust your Son to lead me home. Jesus fears it's time to take that step of faith, allegiance to Jesus. That means repent from your oppositional, selfish, independent nature and confess Jesus as Lord, risen from the dead and on the throne, Lord of all. We would be pleased to help you take that plunge. It's not a knife like the Jewish customs. It's baptism. Being buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, raised to newness of life. Because then, then you're among those who have already died and been raised with Jesus. To be among the sons and daughters of God who, through Jesus, have given up the old way of being human, trapped in the fear of death, isolation, destined to be distant from God the Father. To be among the sons and daughters of God who, through Jesus, have taken on the new way to be human, in intimate connection with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're currently a Jesus follower, 
want you to think back through your story to this critical time in history. I mean, where we're at right now in 2021. How do the puzzle pieces fit in? What is it about your life that has brought you to the point where you are today? Like the story of Israel, where God did this to this point, and then this to this point, and then he moved me here to here, and then, oh, I can start to see it. Can you see how God has prepared you for such a time as this? Can you can you sense that? Now, many of you say, like, like I have multiple times, I'm not fit for this. This is not, no, no, I'm out. I, I can't. No, God has prepared you for such a time as this. Do you see how he's about to do a new thing in your life? Have you built that sense of anticipation? Do you sense his love for you? If not, these are all things to pursue in conversation with God. What is it you have for me? I want to obey. I want to, I want to move when you say move, and I want to go, but I don't understand how all these pieces fit in. Let me tell you, he has you in this place, in this season, with these people around you, for this time right here. Renew your trust in his story. Keep your story wrapped up in his story. Step out on that trail. Right now, even right now, just ask the Spirit, what area needs to be addressed in your life to secure your trust in Jesus? To lean in fully.